Our second reading today comes from the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, found in the Old Testament. Now, Jeremiah, as a book, is a complex read, written about and written to a people facing a series of military invasions, and therefore it is written to people who suffer. The book is named for the main character, the prophet Jeremiah, who is the one who conveys God's message for friend and enemy alike to Jerusalem, to Judah, but also to Egypt and the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Syria, and Babylon. And it is hard work. It is hard work to do this ministry, to speak words of judgment and coming destruction, a message that is both difficult and unwelcome. And there are times when Jeremiah wants to quit, but God's calling upon his life is so strong that he cannot turn away from the work. He says, it is like an intense fire in his heart, trapped in his very bones. At the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, there is the call, God's call to an ordinary human being, and there is Jeremiah's response. And this story is like a mirror for us as readers. We examine it to see reflected back the ways that we, each one of us, are called not just to ordained ministry, which is an important piece of our worship together today, but how we are called to live out this Christian faith, this, this faithful life. And so, friends, hear now God's word to us. This is from Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. I'm reading from the Common English Bible translation, so it's a little different from what's printed in your bulletins. And this is Jeremiah speaking. The Lord's word came to me. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Ah, Lord God, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a child. The Lord responded, don't say, I'm only a child. Where I send you, you must go. And what I tell you, you must say. Don't be afraid of them because I am with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I am putting my words in your mouth, and this very day I appoint you over nations and empires to dig up and pull down, to destroy and demolish, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past Lent, I taught a Sunday school class on the seven deadly sins uh, based on a book called Glittering Vices by Rebecca DeYoung. And truth be told, we only got to five of the, the five of the seven deadly sins and we did not get to do gluttony or lust and my people still give me a hard time about not getting to the most interesting vices. <laughs> and the author of the book opens by talking about her first year of graduate school. And she writes, I found myself wondering if I belonged somewhere else. Everyone in my classes seemed so smart, so witty, so well-read, so eager and able to ask brilliant and insightful questions, and I felt like 
an imposter. How did I, obviously so inferior, inferior, ever get admitted with these people? How soon would they find out who I really was or wasn't and quietly shoo me out the back door in disgrace? And partly I struggled with genuinely difficult schoolwork and some, some difficult life circumstances. But mostly, however, I struggled with my own sense of inadequacy. And so instead of engaging in class discussions and seeking out opportunities to improve myself, I spent that first year of graduate school pulling back into the shadows, believing that I had nothing to contribute, hoping no one would notice when I wrote or said something stupid. And she discovered, while reading about the virtue of courage, that there is a name. There is a name for the thing she was feeling. Pusillanimity. Pusillanimity. Meaning, smallness of soul. Smallness of soul. Philosopher and theologian Thomas Aquinas calls this particular feeling, smallness of soul, a vice. And those afflicted by this vice shrink back from all that God calls them to be. Smallness of soul means when, that when faced with the effort and the challenge of stretching to the great things that we are capable of, the things that God calls us to, we cringe. We say we can't. And de Young writes, in short, those with this vice, smallness of soul, rely on their own puny powers and focus on their own potential for failure rather than counting on God's grace to equip them for the great work in God's kingdom, work beyond anything they might have dreamed of for themselves. Smallness of soul. It sounds familiar. It sounds like Moses standing before the burning bush, standing on holy ground in God's presence, and God says to him that God's people are suffering and that God will send Moses to Pharaoh to bring God's people out of Egypt. And Moses says in response, who am I? Who am I to go before a great power like Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And God says, don't worry, I will be with you. And Moses says, what if no one believes me? And God gives Moses signs that he can do to show the people that God is with him. And still Moses says, I've never been able to speak well, not yesterday, not the day before, and certainly not now, since you've been talking to your servant. I have a slow mouth and a thick tongue. And God responds, who gives people the ability to speak? Isn't it I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you to speak and I will teach you what you should say. And after all this, Moses says, please just send someone else. Smallness of soul. It sounds like Jeremiah in that passage that we just read, God says to him that before Jeremiah was even born, God had chosen him for meaningful and important work in God's great story of salvation. And Jeremiah responds, I'm too young for this. I don't know enough. I'm Im immature, inadequate. 
just not ready. Smallness of soul. And maybe it sounds like you and me. Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson writes that we are practiced in pleading inadequacy in order to avoid living at the best that God calls us to. And how tired our excuses sound. I'm only a youth. I'm only a housewife. I'm only a layman. I'm only a poor preacher. I only have a high school education. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough training. I don't have enough confidence. And in our hearts, we say like Moses, please just send someone else. But neither Moses nor Jeremiah's story ends with God moving on to someone else. And so I think Jeremiah's story has some important things to teach us, each one of us, about what it means to be called by God. So the first thing to notice in the story is that the call begins not with a job description. Not with a job description. It begins with God's love for us. God says, before you were born, before I created you, I knew you and I loved you and I set you apart. We are loved before we even knew it and so when we hear God calling us to do something, something that seems incredibly hard to us, we respond not to earn God's love, we respond because we are already loved. We are loved first. We are loved first. And this idea comes up in one of my favorite prayers uh, by the theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. So he prays, you have loved us first, O God. Alas, we speak of it in terms of history as if you had loved us first but a single time. Rather than without ceasing, you have loved us first many times and every day and our whole life through. When we wake up in the morning and we turn our soul toward you, you, you are already there. You have loved us first. If I rise at the dawn and at that very same second turn my soul toward you in prayer, you are there ahead of me. You have loved me first. And when I withdraw from the distractions of the day and I turn my soul toward you, you are there first and thus forever. God calls Jeremiah and us, and us, to a life of purpose and meaning, which is about something bigger than ourselves and our own sense of smallness. God had holy plans for us before we even saw the light of day. God had holy plans for us before we even saw the light of day. Second thing, the second thing we learn from Jeremiah is that all our excuses don't hold up. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not smart enough, good enough, I'm afraid of speaking in front of people, I'm afraid of failing, I'm afraid of embarrassing myself. And God's response is basically, stop saying those things. I will be with you and I will give you what you need. In Jeremiah's story, God says, just go, don't be afraid, because I am with you. And this is so important that it is repeated two more times in Jeremiah's story. I am with you. I am with you. And then God reaches out and touches Jeremiah's mouth and gives him the words that he needs to say. God gives him what he needs 
God gives him what he needs. And so perhaps, friends, this is the great gift. In this whole process of being called to something by God, we discover in this real and tangible way that the presence of God is in our lives because we see, we see that we cannot do it on our own, on our own strength, on our own power and abilities. Something greater is needed and something greater is given to us, a strength and a hope that is not of our own making. So the last thing to take away from Jeremiah's story is that God says, do not be afraid. God will not let us go. And when things eventually get really bad for Jeremiah and he wants to give up, still he says, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. The Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So friends, this this is a good time. This is a good day to hear God's call to Jeremiah. We are here today recognizing God's particular calling to someone who is very dear to us. God called and Kelly responded. But God's calling is not just for pastors. Jeremiah's story is an invitation to hear our own calling. And so we are hopefully on the back end of this pandemic, settling into this new reality, and we have, we have let go of things, we have been limited, we have lost people we love. Some of us are worn out and tired. Some of us are tired of waiting around And so this is the time to listen carefully to God's call on our lives and to take a good look at our feeble excuses, at our smallness of soul. Because God has promised that our excuses don't matter. God is with us. There is nothing to fear. So I'm going to risk telling a personal story. For years, my husband and I felt a calling to provide foster care for children but it never seemed like the right time to say yes, and we had plenty of reasons to say, not yet. I was pregnant, we were moving, our kids were little, on and on and on. And then eventually there came a season, and what it felt like every other story in my Facebook feed was a story about a child in an abusive situation, and I would cry out to God, God, take care of these children, provide them a safe place to land. And God answered, you have a spare bedroom, What are you doing with it? And so we embarked with our two kids on this hard and remarkable journey. And during the past two and a half years, I have prayed like I have never prayed before for God to help us, for God to help the children that we cared for, for God to call good people into social work, for God to heal families. And it was the first time in a very long time for me for me, a feeling that we were doing something in response to God's leading that we could not have done on our own without God's help. So what is, what is the calling on your heart? What comes up in your prayers? What moves you to tears? What keeps bugging you? What keeps tugging at you? because that might point the way for you and for me. 
Eula Hall, an Appalachian activist and healthcare pioneer who described herself as a hillbilly activist, was a woman with an eighth grade education and a burning sense of purpose, and she, she told about how she came to fund, found the Mud Creek Clinic in southeastern Kentucky to provide healthcare for the poor. She said, I looked and I said to myself, it isn't right like this. There's no medical service here. This is not right. Somebody needs to act. And I guess that somebody was me. And the Bible, the Bible's peppered with God calling people prophets and kings and judges and warriors and freedom bringers and disciples and apostles. And these call stories vary a good deal. Mary called to the heartbreaking work of parenting Jesus. Paul called to the backbreaking work of planting new churches. Nicodemus, whose calling took a very long time and was only beginning to play out as Jesus died on the cross. A child, a child called to share his food so that others might eat too. Women, men, and children whose calling wasn't to the same thing, was not to the same thing, but to the thing that was needed, to the thing that was needed. And to be clear, Christian calling is not just reserved for those who are asked to go and do the big things. It is the invitation, it is the invitation to every Christian to witness to the good news of God by pursuing with grace whatever roles God opens up to us. John Calvin assured us no task will be so sordid and base provided that you obey your calling in it that it will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. And Martin Luther famously said that even changing dirty diapers is done for the glory of God when parenthood is experienced as a calling. Our achievements, our confidence, our goodness, these things do not qualify us to do the work that God calls us to. We are loved God will be with us. God will give us what we need. Do not be afraid. And so, friends, when we, when we hear God call, there is, there is no smallness of soul for us now. We respond as Isaiah did. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. It is a whole different kind of answer. It is an answer with courage, with conviction, filled with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. It is the response that is captured in this statement of being from an unknown African-American preacher. This was shared with me by a classmate of mine when I was in seminary. And it is written in a, in a beautiful black preaching cadence. The preacher says, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power, the die has been cast, I have stepped over the line, the decision has been made, I am a disciple of his, I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. 
I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes. Give till I drop, preach all I know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. To God be the glory. Amen.